So um, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be jumping back into Mark chapter 2. We'll be looking at the last part of that tonight. Um, Thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, we can give a round of applause to Quentin. Thank you for for his time. All right, so... um, so we are going to be looking at uh, verses 13 through 17, 13 through 17, uh, Mark chapter 2, 13 through 17. Um, and so uh, tonight what I would like to start us off with is an image, okay? Now I'm going to put an image on the screen, actually it's multiple images, I'm going to put images on the screen and I want you to be aware of what happens inside of you, Okay? Um, I want you to, to be aware of what thoughts you might have, and I'm going to give just a brief moment um, for you guys to, to be aware of that, um, because this will kind of give us a, a springboard into what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, this is the image. So again, be aware of what's going on inside of you. Now, my assumption is is that maybe a few of these images cause you to be uncomfortable. There might be a few of these images or maybe one of these images in particular that causes maybe anger, fear. Could be that all these images uh, bring that up for you. The reason that I want to put these images up is because we oftentimes make a judgment based on other people's appearance, do we not? Now, we're wired for this, right? But if we're not careful, we can come to very faulty judgments about a person, about their value, about their belief systems, about how they make us feel. And by the way that they make us feel, we treat them differently. See, if I had put up an image or images of doctors, professors, um, teachers, uh, businessmen on here, we probably would have had a different reaction. Now, the reason that I'm bringing this um, up is that not to not necessarily like guilt you guys, because the fact is, is when I was searching for some of these images, um, I too have reactions. I think that it's human to have reactions. But again, if we allow those reactions to blur our vision to the point where we can't see them as a person made in God's image, regardless of their belief system and regardless of their lifestyle and regardless of what's going on, then we can just blow directly past what Jesus has called us to. And so tonight we're going to look at a passage where religious people blow directly past the group of people that is sitting right in front of them. We're going to look at a passage where Jesus walks into the midst of a crowd that would have been similar to if I were to go and have dinner with each of these people. And you guys were to see me out at the alley with each of these people. And the religious people come along and they see Jesus having dinner with people like this and they have a question for him. They're indignant towards him because he's hanging out with people such as this. People that on the outside didn't have it all cleaned up like the Pharisees and scribes. People on the outside 
that their culture looked at and looked down their nose and judged them and cast them to the side. But it's interesting to watch Jesus interact with them. It's also interesting to watch Jesus respond to these religious people that are being extremely judgmental um, and totally missing the point. So with that said, I want you guys to, to keep this image in mind because when we jump into this, this passage and it talks about sinners and tax collectors, it's hard for us at times to kind of like visualize what that might have meant in their day and age. Um, but it's easy for us to, to think about the people in our culture that oftentimes cause probably a similar reaction that those scribes and Pharisees had towards those people. That immediate judgment that they are not right or that they are living a lifestyle of sin or that they are making dumb decisions and if they didn't make dumb decisions then they wouldn't be in the place that they're in in their life or that their belief system was absolutely uh, skewed and that, um, that if they would believe the right thing then they could be a part of their religious club. And I don't want us to blow past the reality that, that we can look at the Pharisees and the scribes and we can point the finger at them and say, wow, they really missed it. But the fact is, if I'm being honest, a lot of times what happens inside the church is very similar. I don't mean this, again, to berate us, but let's be real. When somebody comes into the student ministry room and they're a little bit different than the, the regular like you know group of people that are in here, just, and I don't want you to answer this, but I'm assuming that you've watched how people react to them as opposed to people that come in wearing something similar as you. They do some of the same sports as you, and you kind of have a lot of things in common. There's, there's an acceptance, a quicker acceptance, of those that are like us, right? And then to some degree, the people that come in here that aren't like us, they have to prove themselves, they have to fit our box before we can really, really open up to them. So I ask you, are we any different than the scribes and the Pharisees? Again, don't answer that question. Are we any different? And so when, when we look at this passage, what we're going to look at is the, the poison that judgment is to relationship. The poison that judgment is to, to God's kingdom work. Because when we make those initial judgments and we treat that person differently based on those judgments, then we can totally miss seeing that person the way that Jesus sees them and make a judgment about them and treat them in a different way than somebody else that we might have an easier time seeing what Jesus sees. You guys following me? So if you look up here, some of you guys might not even know what some of these images are. The top left one is a group of Muslim men praying um, during one of their times of prayer. The the one to the right, I specifically searched like teenage alcohol use. That's what I pulled up. There wasn't like a ton of them. But anyways, um, the teenage alcohol use. So, you know, those partiers that maybe we, we automatically write off. The bottom left one is a little bit more obvious. Um, homeless person. We've talked about that um, at times down here that, you know, in our culture, a lot of times they're just cast to the side and ignored. And they kind of get in the way. And then... Um, somebody that dresses differently or looks differently than what most of us look like in this room that, that maybe you would label as, like, quote, emo. And then to the right, um, a girl that's taken a pregnancy test that's no older than you guys and that's dealing with the, the reality that she's pregnant um, and that she's not married 
and that she's made a choice that will forever change her life. It's easy to toss these people into a bucket. It's easy to write these types of people off. But when we look at this passage, we see Jesus walking and spending time with these people more than the people that maybe are represented in this room. And so, um, we're going to talk about how, how to love the sinner, right, but not the sin. We're going to talk about how the judgment that oftentimes we carry in our heart towards another person, what that means about us and our identity, what that means about um, how we can show love to that person. And ultimately, what I want to do is to, to kind of funnel that down into how the gospel informs the way that we treat other people. And when we understand what Jesus has done for us, how that transforms what we could potentially move into judgment with into compassion and love towards that person. So, um, if you have your Bibles, open up uh, to uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to start off by looking at um, Jesus' call um, for Levi. Okay, now Levi, before we read this, um, Levi, that's another name for Matthew as well. And so, um, when, when, you, when you see uh, Matthew throughout the, the New Testament, the disciple Matthew, then that's who, who they're talking about here, okay? So, um, verse 13 starts like this. It says, He went out again beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee, remember? And all the, crowds, uh, all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. Okay, so for you guys to understand what this is like, um, it's hard because like this sounds a lot like the boys when he called them from their father's fishing boat, right? That 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 it's it still blows my mind that he called these guys that are uneducated, hanging out in their father's fishing boats. He says, "Follow me," and then they they leave their nets behind, they leave their father behind, and then they follow him. We've already looked at that, but it's important for you guys to understand that in that culture, tax collectors. In fact, you see this through the Gospels and through the Old Testament, the tax collectors, oftentimes when they're talked about, they're clumped together with sinners. Tax collectors were despised in their day and age. Okay, now, we don't really dig the IRS, right? Like the IRS, and you guys don't really know this yet, but you will. The IRS is the Internal Revenue Service, um, and they uh, take our taxes, right? So, so nobody really likes our money being taken from us. But here's the reality, is that, that the IRS, at least in, in, in our context, it represents the government that we, um, we give money to that ultimately supplies needs for us, such as water, electricity, um, safety, governmental structures, stuff like that, transportation, Prison. and prisons, a lot of different stuff, okay? Law enforcement, schools. So it, it provides a lot of different stuff, but you have to remember in their context... Who was ruling um, over Israel at that time? Rome, exactly. Rome was ruling over them. So it would be like, okay, let's just make up a scenario that would never happen because they're Canadians. But <laughs> let's just say that the Canadians attack us and they take over the United States, all right? All right, it's not going to happen, but just follow my illustration here. The Canadians attack, they take over the United States, and then they start taxing us. They start taxing us so that they can start creating more maple syrup and, you know, whatever, hockey teams, whatever they're, they're wanting to do. We don't have control over it. We don't have any control over it. But what I know is, is that it's no longer the internal or the IRS that takes my money, but it's Canada that takes my money, and they're the ones benefiting from it. I see maybe a part of the benefit from that, but ultimately really don't see a ton of benefit from it. This is the context that they were in. 
It's the same type of context that our country was in before the Revolutionary War, where it was no taxation without representation, right? So It made people so angry that they threw a bunch of tea into the Boston Harbor, and they revolted, and we ultimately took up arms against Britain. Like, that's how ticked off we were at that point. So, here's the context. There... In a similar situation, at that time, they were probably paying 30 to 40% of their income to Rome. 30 to 40%. That's a lot, okay? We're taxed pretty high, but that, we don't get, we're not taxed that high. 30 to 40% is going to Rome. Now, what Rome would do is, is that they would hire people to, uh, to take over certain regions and collect taxes for them, okay? So if it's a Roman citizen that's not a person from Israel, and they're taking the taxes from them, it still doesn't feel good, but it's like, okay, well, we kind of get this. But imagine your brother, somebody that was a part of the United States, okay, and he was working for the Canadians, okay, and he was taking your money, but in addition to that, he was taking more money on top of that and being dishonest by taking more money so that he could provide for his own family. He's like, kind of like, like, you know how the mafia works? It's like, okay, we got our little puppets out there, right? And they do our stuff, but ultimately, like, the big bad dog is back here, and everybody's ticked to the big bad dog, but nobody's, nobody can do anything about it. But, but here we have Levi, an Israelite, taking money from his own people and sending it to a government that was lording it over them. Now, you imagine how angry that would have made people feel. You also have to imagine that in that day and age, it wasn't like a massive, massive city. Capernaum was a city, but it wasn't huge. And so most people would know every single one of the tax collectors because they would be showing up and saying like, all right, Hannah, what'd you make of Burger King this week? Okay. All right. So what's, what's 40% plus 10% so that I get my cut? 50% of that, go ahead and hand it on over. Right? Like, like, so, so this is what they're doing. And then they take the 40%, they give it to, to, um, Rome, and then they pocket the 10%, which obviously would not, it would not feel good, would it? Okay. So, it's important to, to have this in context because Jesus is walking around the Sea of Galilee, homeboy Levi's sitting in his tax booth, okay, I'm imagining Lucy, like five cents for psychiatric help, okay? Like, but he's sitting in his tax booth, He's taken taxes from people. Remember that Capernaum was on a trade route, so he could have been a part of that where like it was, there was a toll road there um, that he was taking taxes on the toll road. But regardless, he was taking people's money, and they didn't like it. In addition to that, he was an Israelite, which made it that much worse. And so they were despised. They were cast to the side. They were like, man, he's a, he's a punk taking our money. And so Jesus is walking along, and I love it because he, he sees Levi, right? There's a ton of people hanging out. They're, they're wanting to hear him teach. And he's walking along, and he sees Levi, and he looks at him, and he says, follow me. Now, out of all the people, okay, I can kind of, kind of get there with the fishermen. I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? I can get there. But with a tax collector, it's like, I, it's harder for me to get there. But, but we have to remember that Jesus didn't see these external shells of um, identity, like what we're used to seeing and judging people by, but he saw their heart. He saw their heart. And so when he saw Levi, he saw Levi. Okay? And so he walks by, and remember that the tax collectors are despised, um, and yet Jesus has a mission for Levi, for Matthew. Okay? He has a mission for him. And that Jesus did not fall into the traps of judgment and social norms. 
Social norm would have said, that's not the guy you want to be your disciple. Social norm would have said, just ignore him. Don't talk to him because he's probably going to take some money from you. Social norm says, like, we despise that guy and we don't, we don't like him at all because he's taking money from us and giving it to Rome, who we want to be overthrown because Israel doesn't deserve to be underneath Roman rule, right? So this is a political thing, too. And so Jesus sees him, um, even though he's despised by culture, he doesn't judge him like everybody else was judging him, but he sees him and he says, follow me, um, and he doesn't follow along with the social norms, which, which springboards us into what happens next, which is so cool, okay? So the next part of this passage is, um, it says this, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? See how they're clumping those two together? They're like, it's, it's the same to them. Um, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So, we're going to spend a little bit more time on this passage, um, this part of the passage, uh, and talk about judgment. Okay? Now, a lot of people outside the church think that we're a lot of judgmental hypocrites, right? Okay? Well, some people. I got some head shakes. That's good that you're running with people that don't think that, and maybe things are changing. But if you were to talk to, you know, an average Joe on the street, they probably would think like, well, hey, give me three words to describe the church. And, you know, you might find some people that have really positive things to say. But if you find somebody that's been burnt by the church, they're going to say they're judgmental, hypocritical, um, and fill in the blank, right? And so, so what's so interesting about the way that Jesus functions in this passage is, is that it would be really, 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 really easy for him to chill with the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Like, he was the son of God. It would have been really easy for him to play the religious checker game and to, to gain power in the religious system and to find comfort and security in that. And yet, time and time again, we see Jesus challenging that. Time and time again, we see Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Now, you have to think about this. Imagine this. Imagine that I am at the alley, okay? I don't know why I keep on bringing up the alley, but just imagine me at a restaurant, all right? And... And you come in, and you're like, oh, that's my youth minister. Okay, now imagine this. Imagine that I'm there with some people that maybe you don't know, okay? Um, let's just say that they're people you don't know. I'm there with people that you don't know. They look a little bit rougher, okay? Maybe not like crazy rough, but they look a little bit rougher. And I'm sitting there, and they're getting plastered. Like, just drinking until they're about to fall out of their chairs. Okay. Now... What type of thoughts would you have about me? And you don't have to answer that. But what type of thoughts would you have about me? What type of thoughts would you have about them? Okay. So now we're starting to feel a little bit of what these Pharisees were feeling. It's like, it's all about the image for them. All about the image. It's all about crossing the T's and dotting the I's and staying holier than that. And so when they see this, this rabbi come along and hang out at a party with these sinners and tax collectors, then they're probably thinking very similar thoughts that you guys would be thinking. Like, what in the heck is he doing? Like, somebody could see him. Like, he's going to ruin his reputation. If he's trying to teach people about God, then why is he doing that? 
We know that we're not supposed to do that. Like, like we know that we're supposed to be separate from those types of people. Why is he there? And ultimately, judgment tears people apart because they didn't even see those people. They saw their behavior. They saw their, their um, reputation. And they, they made an immediate judgment about them. And, and they would have not been caught dead hanging out with them. Not only for the fact of reputation, but also for the fact of cleanliness and like what would people think. You see this time and time again, like where, where the prostitute comes in, is crying and wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, and we have scribes sitting there like, man, if he knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And yet Jesus knew exactly who she was. And there he sat. And he used it as a lesson. And he turned and he said, when I came in here, you didn't put oil on my head. You didn't anoint me. You didn't kiss me like like nothing. And this lady, from the time she came in to now, is crying and wiping my feet. Like, drawing attention to, like, get past your judgment. Get past you putting people in those, those boxes and see what's happening. Don't miss what's happening here. So judgment ultimately tears people apart. If I come and I make a rash judgment about somebody, like let's just say, like uh, I told you about the story um, when we went to the, uh, the the concert when there was a homeless person and like I recoiled, like I literally like like moved to the other side of the street. I'm not proud of that, not at all. It hurt my heart when that happened, but there was an emotional reaction that I had. I had a judgment about that person that they were going to ask for money and I don't have money or and I don't. We were, we were in a hurry to get in because I thought that we were going to be late. Um, and, and I didn't have time to stop and talk to somebody. And so I made a judgment. Ah, they're like not worth my time. And I moved to the side. Sounds a lot like the um, Good Samaritan, does it not? Yeah. Feels really good to relate with the other three people in that story. Not. Okay. So judgment tears people apart. Um, judgment is justification not to love. Judgment is justification not to love. Now, if I'm making a judgment about somebody, I can totally convince myself that, like, yeah, I really shouldn't, like, be near that person. Or I really, like, like it's going to be too much of a, um, a risk to be near that person because I could be judged by other people or whatever. But basically, judgment is, is giving me a license to not love that person. It's giving me the license to just say, I'm writing you off. I'm not really going to see you. I'm not really going to see the heart behind what you're doing or who you might be, but I'm going to write you off. I'm going to judge you so that I don't have to love. But the problem in that, which we all know, is that Jesus calls us to love, not to judge. So if I'm trying to give myself a license not to love somebody because I'm judging them for their behaviors or I'm judging them because of their appearance or I'm judging them because of um, life choices that they've made, um, then I'm missing the point. It's going to be real hard Maybe impossible. I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's going to be really, really hard if I'm judging somebody really hard to love them. Will it not? Like, think about a person that you've judged really hard and was there a, a place of compassion and love in your heart? Or are you like these Pharisees, me included, like these Pharisees that look at them, write them off. I'm not seeing them. All I'm seeing is that this rabbi shouldn't be eating with them because of the reputation and because of the uncleanliness and because their choices in life aren't as holy as mine and as good as mine. And if they would just get with the program, then we would accept them. But ultimately, until they do that, we're going to write them off along with the tax collectors and just sit them over there in the bucket. We're going to treat them like garbage because we're holier than them. Okay. So he calls us to love, not to judge. Now, the second point is that judgment reveals our lack of identity. 
Okay? So these men um, that looked at Jesus and was like, what is he doing? Okay? Where, where do you think their identity was wrapped up? Huh? Themselves. Themselves, yeah. Themselves, the religious structure that they were functioning really well in, you know, pat each other on the back, oh, rabbi, whatever. Really great sermon. Okay? Oh, that feels good. Right? So their identity is very much wrapped up in their appearance, in their actions. Okay? It's, it, it, it doesn't go beyond that. Because if it went beyond that, if it went into the, the realm of the heart and, and loving other people, then, then they wouldn't have been judging them like they were judging them. They were judging them because their identity was wrapped up in how they stay pure and clean and religious, and that's not how you do it. So I'm not even going to see them. My identity is wrapped up in my performance, what I do and don't do. Now, I don't know if you guys can relate with that, but I can. I can definitely relate with that. Aaron and I have conversations about this. I can relate with the, the pull to um, have my identity wrapped up in my performance. In, in what I do, what I don't do, how I do it, and so forth. And ultimately, the beautiful thing, and we're going to get to this, I don't want to jump ahead, but the beautiful thing is that the gospel allows us to do something completely different than what the Pharisees and scribes in this passage did. Um, so let's keep moving forward. Um, we identify falsely with something other than Jesus when we judge. So if I'm identifying with Jesus in a moment, okay, and I'm seeing a person, then then I know that Jesus has called me to love them, and regardless of how they make me feel, like I'm called to show love and compassion towards that person. That does not mean that I love what they're doing. That does not necessarily mean that I have to like hang out with them constantly day in and day out. That does not mean that I need to place myself in a position where I'm abused. But what it does mean is, is that, that especially those people that I just write off immediately because they don't look like me, they don't talk like me, they don't believe like me, whatever, 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 you fill in the blank, that ultimately, if I'm identifying with Jesus Christ, then what did Jesus Christ do in this passage? What did he do in this passage? That's a question. What did Jesus do in this passage? He loved people, but like, who was he loving? Like, who, what was he? What was he doing? Like, I know this is really basic. Might have been forgiving. We don't see that in this passage. Um, he's accepting of who, though? Like, the sinners and the tax collectors, right? And so, I know that this is really basic. I'm not trying to treat you guys like children. I'm trying to identify that if I identify with Jesus and that's what Jesus does, then should I not do that? Should we not do that? I follow Jesus Christ. So therefore, I'm trying to model my life after him. So therefore, like he did things like this that honestly would make me feel real uncomfortable. But I'm following Jesus Christ. He's called me to love all people. And so if he's done this, then what does it look like for me to push into the discomfort of being around people that maybe don't believe like me, don't think like me, don't look like me, don't talk like me, don't act like me? so that I can bring the gospel and the truth to them. You see, the point here is not just so that Jesus can like make a point about, like, you know, well, this is what you're supposed to do just purely to add another checklist or checkbox to your checklist, but that like this is about him bringing the kingdom of God to these people because at the end, what does he say? He says, like, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. They're the ones that need the gospel. Hello. 
so I can hang out with the Pharisees, which the irony in this is that they needed the gospel just as much as they did, but that they weren't even like aware of that. But he says, I'm coming for the sick, right? And so um, if I identify with Jesus, then what does it look like for me to seek out people that, quote, are sick and not get hung up on my judgment about their behavior, their lifestyle, and so forth? So Jesus gives us um, a new identity. So, so he gives us a new identity in the sense that, like, as a Christian, when we accept Jesus Christ, that, that we are redeemed, right? Our identity is no longer wrapped up in what we do, what we don't do, and all sorts of stuff, and, like, trying to, trying to win our way into God's presence. Our identity is wrapped up in what he's done for us and what he said about us. So, if... Um, our judgment reveals our lack of identity, our lack of identity in something solid and true, then the opposite is also true. If I can enter into a situation and love somebody and have compassion on somebody that the world looks at and wants to spit in their face, then that also reveals something about where my identity is wrapped into. This takes the power of God. Look at Mother Teresa. Okay, Mother Teresa is probably one of the most profound... Um, uh, examples of Christ's love to the broken um, that the 20th century, 20, I don't know if she lived in the 21st century, anyways, um, that, that we have seen in a long, long time. But the reason that she was able to do that isn't because Mother Teresa woke up one day and just said, I'm just going to do it because it's, it's what I'm supposed to do and like just try to do it. No, she did it because she realized what Jesus had done for her and she went to those people and they, she loved them with compassion that only Jesus could supply. And like for years and years and years spent her life serving the people in Calcutta, India, that those people in India cast to the side because they were dying, they were leprous, they were diseased, they were deformed, cast them to the side and Mother Teresa and her um, sisters, not literal sisters, but sisters in Christ, brought them in and let them die in dignity with the love of Jesus Christ surrounding them. That's an example of what it looks like, I think, in finding our identity in Jesus Christ and that identity fueling a heart of compassion for the broken in this world. Because if my heart is is knit to Jesus's and Jesus's heart is knit to the broken, then then it would make complete sense that, that that's where I would be drawn towards. Instead of drawn towards the power, drawn towards the comfort, drawn towards putting my, my um, religious trophies on the shelf saying, I've done this and I've done that and I've done this. Aren't you proud? No, I, I, don't, I don't want that to be my, my legacy. I want my legacy to look like Jesus Christ. We cast aside all the glory in heaven, cast aside the trophies, if you will, of, and cast aside the ability to, to rise up in power in a political way or in a religious way and chose to sit and eat and commune with these people. So he gives us a new identity, and as we understand that identity, it allows us to, to love people differently. So the third point is, is that the gospel is the only place we can find our true identity in love. If you try to find your identity in um, anything other than the gospel, anything other than the identity that Jesus Christ has given you, it will fault you at some point. And, and it will move at some point. It takes a lot of stinking effort to build an identity in this world apart from Jesus Christ and to maintain it. It takes a lot of effort. In addition to that, that identity will ultimately not last eternally. 
And so, so our true identity is found in the gospel. Now, how does that work? This is how it works. The gospel reveals who we were before Jesus Christ. Okay, we see that in Romans. Paul says that the law was given to us to show us our need for Jesus Christ, our need for a Savior. So, so when I understand the gospel, I understand that, that like when I look at somebody else, like a, a person that I would oftentimes have a judgment towards and cast to the side, when I look at them, I see myself in them. Before Jesus Christ entered into my life, before He chose to redeem me, like I was just as much lost as somebody that is partying every weekend. I'm just as much lost as that person that you would just say, like, man, if, if you want a terrible reputation, that's the person that you need to hang out with. So it reveals to me that that's exactly where I was. I was a rebel just like that person. So in understanding that, it also reveals to me um, who we are now because of Jesus Christ, who we were and who we are. And when we hold those two in tension, it's like, man, like how can I judge somebody when I know who I was and how, how much of a rebel I was to God? And then what He's done for me, how far He's brought me, how is it that I could... how it, is it possible that if, if Jesus has done so much for me that I could sit here and judge somebody and cast them to the side and treat them like a piece of trash? How is it that I could be like the Pharisees in this passage and so easily just write somebody off? When Jesus Christ sat with those people, risking His reputation and, and loving them because He knew that they were the ones that He needed to be with to bring the gospel. To share with them that the kingdom of God is at hand. Hello, like it's in me. And so, so I identify with that and I move into the brokenness of this world and I bring the gospel and the truth, holding intention, holding in my mind like where I came from, that I didn't deserve what Jesus Christ gave me. So therefore, how am I going to be an entitled little like um, um, selfish brat now that he's given me so much and I'm going to look at somebody else that's created in his image and he's called me to share his truth with them and I'm going to look at them and judge them and just say, eh, they're not worth it, Jesus. You and me, we're tight. Now, I know that this is kind of a heavy um, lesson. and I know that, like, I think that part of the reason it's heavy for me is that, like, honestly, I relate so much with the stinking Pharisees and I hate that I relate with them. I hate the fact that I read this passage and like out of everybody in this passage, it's not the sinners and the tax collectors that I relate with. It's not Jesus that I relate with. It's not his disciples that I relate with the most. It's the scribes and the Pharisees. And Aaron could amen this until she's blue in the face because she sat with me and had conversations with me where I was spitting venom because I was judging somebody for some sort of choice that they made that I would have never made. I say that in a place of vulnerability to you guys that like not not again like I'm not proud of it I'm not okay with it but but this is the struggle that we're in like this is this is a pretty natural place to land when we're called to something so much more beautiful and so much more awesome I can't tell you the difference when when and maybe you guys have experienced this before but you know those days when you're just kind of like walking around and like things are, things are good and like, you know, you're just kind of like, whatever, I'm doing my schoolwork, doing this. And, and you are just like, like punched in the heart with compassion for somebody. I don't know if that's happened to you. It happens to me all the time when I'm counseling. When I'm sitting there and all of a sudden like, like I want to well up and cry because like I feel such a deep compassion for the person sitting across from me or the person walking beside me in Walmart or my wife 
like, like, when I'm experiencing that type of compassion, there is no room for judgment. Like, I had to, I'm not even thinking about judgment at that point. Like, I see that person. I think that God's given me a divine vision to see that person the way that He sees them and to have compassion and love on them regardless of if I agree with whatever it was that was hanging me up just over here. So, um, the gospel reveals um, who we are because of Jesus and what he's done for us. So when we keep that in mind, the gospel, then it allows us to have compassion and love on the people around us. So I have a few questions and application. Um, the first one is, is, why do you sometimes judge? Now, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying what's reality. Like, we are all human beings in this room, and we have all judged somebody, okay? It's a fact. So to question, why is it that we jump to that? Question, why is it that you jump to that um, and that you sometimes judge? Second question is, how can the gospel change the way um, we see other people? Now, we've talked about that, but ask yourself that question. How is it that the gospel changes the way that you see the person sitting next to you in class? How is it that the gospel changes the way that you see the, the person that um, you know is the partier and that, um, that ultimately, like, like, you don't agree with what they're doing or whatever? How is it that the gospel changes the way that you see your boyfriend or girlfriend or your mom and dad or your sister or your brother? Because it, it, it does. When we, hold, when we keep that as our, as our lens, it does change the way that we see those people um, and ultimately allows us to treat them in, in a godly way um, that we wouldn't be able to otherwise. And then finally, how does love transform judgment? How does love transform judgment? So Jesus in this passage is sitting with, quote, sinners and tax collectors. One of these tax collectors um, who's hosting this banquet um, will ultimately be one of his disciples. Now you tell me. How does love play a part in that? What would have happened if Jesus had just judged Levi just like everybody else? There, we wouldn't be reading about Levi, right? But instead, he saw him, he loved him, and he called him. He saw these sinners and tax collectors, he loved them, and he continued to share with them the truth of the gospel. (laughs) Instead of writing them off and saying, well, too bad for them. I'm going to hang out with these guys because I relate better with them because they're, they're closer to being holy than these people are. So how does love transform judgment? I don't know what that looks like for you guys. I'll tell you what it looks like for me. When I'm judging that person for whatever behavior or whatever lifestyle choice or whatever um, belief system or whatever, that, like I said, it's like I get punched in the heart with compassion and it almost hurts me that I'm in that place judging that person and I just recoil back and I'm like, what am I doing? And then compassion fills my heart for that person and it changes the way that I talk about them. It changes the way that I interact with them. It changes the way that I pray for them. So my encouragement to us in this room um, is that when people come here and they aren't exactly like us, okay, I'm putting that in quotation marks, like my challenge, my encouragement to all of us is that, that we see all people that walk through this door down here with compassion that we understand like they are not totally different than us. 
And, and, and God's calling us to care for especially those that come through this door that maybe haven't ever come to a church before or in a family situation that is just crazy and this is the only safe place that they have. They might make decisions that we look at and we're like, oh my gosh, like I would not make that decision. They might dress in ways that we look at and we're like, wow, like did they not think about what they put on before they came to church? But who are we to judge them and write them off when Jesus has called us to love all people, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? And as we love them, we share the truth of the gospel with them. And as the truth of the gospel interacts with them, that's way more of a change agent than my judgment will ever be in shaming for whatever thing it is that I'm judging. That's how love changes judgment for me. And I'm, I'm hoping, um, and I see it in here. I'm not like, you know, hating on everybody. I know that I have like a heavy spirit right now. I don't know why I have a heavy spirit. I honestly think it's because like I get so, um, uh, like this passage just like, like stabs me in the heart because I realize that I'm more like the Pharisees. So I'm really talking to myself more than you guys tonight, but maybe you guys have learned something from my, uh, my rant to myself. Um, yeah, let me, let me pray. Um, let me pray, and then uh, we, will, we will be dismissed, okay? Father, thank you so much for tonight um, and the time that you've given us together. I pray, Lord, that um, you will uh, continue to guide and direct everything that we do down here in the student ministry, that we would be humbled um, before you each and every time that we come into this room. God, I pray that you will fill our hearts with compassion for one another, and for every person that we come in contact with, whether it be people at school or in the grocery line um, or sports teams, God, I pray that you will fill our hearts with your compassion, that you would give us your eyes to see them, your heart to feel love and compassion towards them. We would not treat them any differently um, than you would. Jesus, thank you that you did come and you cast aside the need to um, have the best reputation. And I'm reminded that like even in the passages where people accused you of being a drunkard and a partier, like that, that the people that you ran with, the people that you, um, you spent a lot of time with, that they were the people that, that the religious people of that time judged the most. So I pray, God, I pray, Jesus, that you will help us to not find ourselves in the shoes of the scribes and the Pharisees, but that instead we would, we would find ourselves acting and loving the way that you did. God, I thank you for each student in this room and the influence that you've given them in their um, schools and homes and sports teams and um, other extracurricular activities. I pray that you will uh, ignite their hearts for you You'll fill their hearts with a passion to share your truth and your love with the people around them, every single person. And that, God, you would use them to, to spread your truth and your light um, in schools that oftentimes have so much darkness. God, I pray that these students would be mobilized for you. They would see themselves as missionaries everywhere that they go. pray that for myself as well, for all the leaders in this room. Father, thank you um, for your word and the way that it does uh, reveal things in our hearts, even when it's hard to look at. 
I thank you that you've used this passage to reveal things in my own heart. I pray, Father, that in this lesson that there are other people in this room that their hearts have been opened up um, as well and that they have been um, given um, uh, uh, understanding of areas of their heart that um, you want to transform and that you want to change. Jesus, thank you for the identity that you've given us. Thank you that we can enter into any situation with a solid and true identity in you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us and making a way for us to have that identity, but most importantly, to be in right relationship with God. We love you, we praise you, and we continue to offer everything that we do in the student ministry to you. We pray that you'll guide and direct every step. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, have a good night.